because both of my hotels are, are zoned hospitality. So I won't have any regulatory issues with, with uh, our projects. And the other short-term rentals that I do own, Taylor, are also in commercial buildings. And so in Kansas City, Missouri, you're allowed to have a short-term rental uh, if it's 25% of your, your units uh, in, in, the pro- in the property. So, Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth without buying yourself a second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today we are here with Logan Freeman, an investor out of Kansas City, Missouri. He has a very interesting past in getting into real estate investing, a collegiate football player in the NFL for a little while, and then uh, he got out and again, has had a, a very interesting history getting into real estate. Um, he's very into Miracle Morning. It's We're starting at 7 a.m. here my time, 6 a.m. his time, and I think he's been up for even a few hours before that, just getting ready for the day and really focusing on his mindset, mentality, and setting intentions and goals and all that good stuff for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, and the rest of the year. I think there's a lot of value in that. So Logan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Taylor, for having me. And I I can't agree more. I I really do think that if you can win the day in the first, what I'll call three to four hours, uh, you can really set yourself up for success. It's something I've started uh, a long time ago, and we can get into that uh, when I started that. But uh, I think it's very important to everybody to have a morning routine and a morning ritual. It really sets your day up for success. Absolutely. I have my own my own ritual or routine or, and etc that you know I learned from Tony Robbins you know certified coach same coach to Joe Fairless and many other investors uh, yeah I've talked to Trevor McGregor plenty of times there you go yeah Trevor he's the man he's he's great you know and I one thing I would like to tell your listeners when we're talking about morning rituals and, and morning routines is is you have to find what works for you and and there was a quote from, I believe it was Eisenhower, and, and he said something along the lines of, you you have to be soft on schedules and hard on disciplines. And what that means is, you know, every day is going to look a little bit differently. And you can't beat yourself up for not having every single day be exactly how you want it, because things are going to happen that you cannot control. However, if you stay hard on your disciplines, but you're soft on your schedules and allow yourself to be fluid, that's how you actually start to create habits. Wow, that's excellent. I'm going to write that one down. I think everybody else out there should think about writing that one down. I really like that. I've never heard that before. So getting into you know your investing background and your experience working with passive investors and being a passive investor, can you give us just a quick primer on what you've done so far and then what you'll be doing you know, the rest of the year? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, my, my journey in real estate started about five or six years ago when I bought my first property and uh, I really started to understand kind of the power that real estate had. I, I had a job at that time and uh, basically I was I was not paid for my performance, which with my personality and my strengths doesn't really work too well for me. And so <laughs> I started to look in other ways and, and try to rub some pennies together and and see if I could go, you know, buy a house, fix it up, maybe even live in it, use some conventional financing with very little money down, and 
and be my own general contractor. And I started to do that and, and started to put a little bit of money in my pocket and realized that if I could do that for two years and I could I could make the right purchase and put the right amount of money into it and, and resell it, uh, I could make my salary at the time in, in one project or two projects a year. And so uh, that really got the bug for me started. And, and uh, you know, I didn't make the jump for another probably three, three and a half, four years. Um, but it was actually of December of uh, 2017, whenever I made the jump full time into real estate. And really what happened was I was fired from my job. I was at a six figure wow. sales job and uh, I had sold the project, a nice, a nice sizable deal the, the week before. And um, I was sitting with my wife uh, on a Sunday night and I got a meeting maker invite for uh, 6 a.m. from my boss. And I was like, well, that's the first time that's ever happened. And um, I looked at my wife and I said, I think I'm, I'm getting fired tomorrow. I'm not really sure, but I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty certain that this is a, t- a telltale sign. And so, you know, and it, 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 it did. It happened. And that was that was OK. It was actually the best thing that really ever happened to me because it made me realize that, you know, having that nice what I call comfortable and safe job is actually not as comfortable and safe as you think it is. And so we brought a private that company brought, brought a private equity fund in to, uh, to fund some new technology. And their first thing, uh, their first line of business was cutting expenses. And so m- myself and quite a few other salespeople were let go uh, pretty quickly there. So uh, I started a consulting company where I would actually go on and, and, and train people, uh, small businesses on their sales process, train their people and, and their positioning and their product um, and help them set up CRM systems, that, that sort of thing. And I was also, you know, the head of acquisitions at a small boutique firm here in Kansas City that focused on investment properties. And in less than nine months, um, you know, we completed over 120 transactions uh, at that firm. And this is this is very important because while I did have a a $40 million fund that I was helping represent. They only represented about 80 of those properties. So my first year full-time in real estate while running a full-time consulting company with three, three clients that I gave 20 hours each to uh, a week, I still was selling uh, about, I don't know, 15 or 25 houses a month. And, wow. you know, I started from zero with that. And I cut my teeth on a lot of a lot of transactions, but it was just reps for me. And at the time, we were doing smaller apartment complexes and duplexes, fourplexes, and single-family homes. And I had to look at over 600 properties and underwrite 600 properties and rehab. I, I mean, I estimated the renovations on 600 properties, and we probably made offers on about 350 of those. And and my my hit rate was you know a little less than fifty percent, but that's that's still pretty good. And um, one thing I want to note too is that you know it was nice to have that fund uh, that was purchasing properties, but at the same time I was learning about how to build a brand, build a network, focusing my efforts on bigger pockets and adding value on my own website and trying to really understand what a passive investor might want and what they need to do to be able to feel comfortable to work with a, a real estate broker and agent uh, from out of state. And they, I purchased probably, I don't know, 
out of 120 of those properties, we probably purchased 90% of them sight unseen for our investors. We went to the properties, obviously, but our investors did not. So um, that's how I got into to real estate. And I can either stop there, Taylor, or I can kind of tell you what I'm focused on now, whatever you'd like. If you're an investor with a day job, build that some kind of passive income so you can you know, have another option out there if the day job goes away. So, you know, what are you doing now? Let's, let's get into that. Yeah. You know, I, I want to just comment on what you just said. You know, there's really no sure. excuse for, for us uh, as what I'll call investors not to be able to build some passive income. I mean, with all of the new technology, all of the private placement memorandums that are out there, uh, all of the resources at our fingertips, it's, it's really, um, if you're not making a, an effort to try to build uh, your passive uh, income up and do something different than what you've been told works the last 25 years, it's really your own fault. And, and uh, I, I don't mean to be brash here, but at the end of the day, you have to take some type of action uh, to be able to start to get to that point. And um, we have all of the resources at our fingertips. And, you know, Jacko Willink is a, is a great mentor of mine. <laughs> And I would just have to say that discipline does equal freedom, and, and we really have no excuses not to take extreme ownership of where we currently are. And I think that Trevor McGregor and Tony Robbins would say that. First off, you have to assume responsibility of where you're at in your life, and there's, there's no really other, any other reason other than it's your choices that have led you to where you are. And the great thing about that, Taylor, is that you get to make new choices every single day to kind of move you to where you want to go. So um, it's it's somewhat, I think, a double-edged sword in the sense of, you know, it's it's you have to be okay with, you know, maybe your past not getting to where you want to go, but you also need to be able to understand that, great, I can make choices that are going to better me every single day, and and. I'm, it might take six months, but I'm going to get start to get to where I'm going to go. And uh, but I think the first step of that is taking extreme ownership of it. A hundred percent. I'm I'm a fan of Jocko as well. Uh, you know, it's a mentor that I just haven't met yet. Yeah, uh, essentially. And uh, yeah, he's 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 excellent, especially if you're in a, a performance driven type of environment professionally, like a you know sales or something like that, or you know on your side you're getting into you're in entrepreneurship. You know, you need to take extreme ownership of everything. Even if you, you know, in hindsight, you said, well, I didn't know that this potential thing could happen. Well, you need to take ownership of that. And next time and in the future, you need to be aware of, you know, whatever, whatever thing it is, or, you know, such and such team member did, did such a thing. Well, and I need to train people differently in the future, things like that. Exactly. That ownership is, is very important. So yeah, we could talk about that, that stuff all day. I'm, I'm, I'm big into it. So Great. what are you doing now? Uh, what are you doing in real estate now? And, and how are you partnering with other investors? Yeah. So, you, you know, in September of last year, I really, you know, I could have continued to do what I was doing, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel super, what I'll call jazzed about the projects because, uh, well, one, I was, we, our, our prices continued to rise, our inventory continued to decrease, and my buyer's list continued to increase. And I felt uh, a little unethical purchasing properties for investors that I knew, you know, seven, eight months ago, I was purchasing at a 25% more discount than I was then. And, you know, with a, with a smaller multifamily or single family home, you got to be really careful because, 
if you're trying to build a long-term relationship with an investor and a property is only going to, you know, a property is only going to cash flow 250, maybe 300 bucks a month if you're lucky in most markets. Uh, one thing that happens to that property throughout the year, an HVAC, a roof, uh, a tenant, you know, causes some issues when they move out, that zaps all of your cash flow for the year. And don't get me wrong, you still have benefits from a tax standpoint and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, most people are getting into this for uh, the cash flow of, of building that cash flow over time. And so, uh, you know, the prices were just too, or the, the projects were just too marginal for me. So I started to, to dive into books and, and people like Joe Fairless, like Michael Blanc, um, like the real estate guys, um, Russ Gray and, and Robert Helms. And I started going to their events. You know, I, I, I just said, well, if I'm going to try to make this move into uh, syndication, which, by the, by the way, I didn't even know what that word meant whenever I first heard it. <laughs> so I, I had to research that. So I started going to all of these events, kind of um, trying to, to level up and, and, and build a new skill. I knew I could raise some capital because I had quite a few investors that were chomping at the bit to get into Kansas City. But what I did, I, what I underestimated was the time and the effort it was going to take for me to um, talk with and work with my investor list who really wanted to own an asset themselves into passively investing. And I, and that process was a lot harder than I thought. And, and really the people who are quote unquote passive investing are a little bit different than the ones who want to go purchase their own properties. But I did transfer quite a few of them uh, over to, to my syndications. But, you, you know, after I, after I kind of went to all these events, read all of these books, um, before I did anything uh, from a syndication standpoint and a commercial and multifamily standpoint, because I knew that's the, the direction I was headed, is I went and bought a few properties myself. And so I'm a big believer in, you know, hey, I don't, I, I don't really want to go do or or work with somebody or say that I can do something unless I've done it myself. And and that might be the just the true true salesperson in me, uh, you know, Grant Cardone, Anthony Iannarino, these great sales trainers always talk about if you're not sold on your own product, you're never going to be able to sell it to, to anybody else. And so I had to sell myself. And the only way I could sell myself was to actually go do it. So I went and bought a couple of commercial properties and, and, um, did, did some joint ventures with some other people on, on some, some stuff as well and, and kind of cut my teeth on that while I was still learning. So, uh, you know, I'm a big action taker. I don't think that knowledge is power. I think knowledge is potential power and knowledge plus action is actual power. And so I, you know, my wife, thankfully, she's in my life because uh, she holds me back from taking a lot of action that probably would cause me issues. But I I'm a, I, you know, I'm a football player, Taylor. I'm not real smart, so I just run into stuff really hard and see what happens at the end of it, you know. And <laughs> and uh, thankfully, she's been able to really save me some some headache from one work not working with some individuals, and two, um, you know, thinking about things a little bit more strategically. She's a very smart woman and a business strategist herself, so she helps me think through this stuff. But uh, and she sees it from a different perspective from from real estate, just in general. And I'll, I'll say that, uh, um, you know, after I bought those properties, after I felt comfortable, I said, okay, well, I think I'm going to start trying to do apartment syndications. And I, I felt like I, I had enough equity behind me from, from my group. And I said, you know, I, I think I can raise this equity. And so I started underwriting all the projects that were 
available here in Kansas City. And uh, lo and behold, I did not, I had no idea that uh, the prices and the compression here uh, had had happened in multifamily before it even did in, in single family. And so in the assets, the institutional style assets that I was looking at raising equity for, we were already at a at a five and a half, six and a half cap rate in Kansas City. And I said, you know, that's probably not going to work because most of our investors, uh, you know, can go probably get that in a market that they feel a little more comfortable with buying that at, at a cap rate of that of that 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 low. So um, I had to continue to work on finding uh, properties and, and deals. And so I just continued to, to network. I moved my license over to commercial and multifamily brokerage. I was still studying, learning, uh, networking, taking a lot of action on that front and looking for projects. And, uh, you know, I came across uh, an interesting asset. I have, an, I have a hotel and restaurant management degree. And uh, so I, I started underwriting uh, this project. I knew where it was and and it was a bed and breakfast hotel, about a 17 unit bed and breakfast hotel or 15 unit, sorry, on the on the Kansas City Plaza. And I said, OK, well, let me get the financials. I said, all right, this is a little bit different than looking at a multifamily property. And there's some big question marks here. Who's going to run the property? How can I make sure if there's a recession that we're going to still drive traffic to our to our hotel? Uh, just some big question marks there. But I I've been coached by. Uh, MJ DeMarco, who wrote the Millionaire's Fast Lane, and uh, he has another book out, uh, Unscripted, which I would highly recommend. I think I don't think a lot of people know those two books, but um, Unscripted by MJ DeMarco and the Millionaire's Fast Lane are two of the best business books. But long story short, he's got five business commandments that you that he he really tells people they need to focus on, and and this is how I put everything through a decision making. Uh, matrix before I'm, I'm deciding to, to either shift my business or work on something. It needs to have a great need in the marketplace. There needs to be a high barrier of entry. You have to be able to control it. There needs to be able to, to the ability to scale and your time has to be freed up by actually doing this. At some point, you have to be able to step away from this thing. And so, you know, that I was thinking about this property. It's a bed and breakfast hotel and there is a high, high, very high barrier of entry to this 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 property, and I said, well, if I can figure this out, th- I think that this thing's going to be a winner. And so I we put it under contract. I I started to find the operational partners, and I actually found um, some really great partners at my now brokerage um, that I've invested in uh, two hotels, and we're working on our third one actually on the bed and breakfast side. And so we raised the equity for those those two hotels on the Kansas City Plaza, um, and now. Uh, we're going after our third one. Uh, in it's actually out in in Wichita, Kansas, and um, now we're graduating into uh, some larger ground up development deals here in Kansas City. Uh, and then and then we're partnering with other general partners and sponsors in the self storage side, the mobile home park, and um, any type of multifamily, so senior living, student housing, uh, those types of projects that uh, we're we're actually working on right now. So uh, we can. We can focus on actually being the partners ourselves, the GPs ourselves. We can be co-general partners. Uh, we can help with leasing or property management if it's in our in our our market that we focus in. And also, we can lay alongside and, and advise people, other partners, um, on their capital stacks, so we can make 
uh, help facilitate introductions on the debt and equity side that might be able to capitalize their projects. So that's what I'm doing now, Taylor. And I know that was a long, <laughs> that was a long answer, but uh, a lot to unpack there. But I think that uh, that's probably a good place to start. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I took some notes here. I was jotting down as you were going through the the five business commandments. So just to reiterate those, make sure I got them right. There needs to be, there has to be a need in the market. There has to be a barrier to entry. You have to be able to control the business or your operation of the business. Yep. You have, it, there must be opportunity to scale, whatever it is. And I wrote down time, but I, I, I didn't get that number five. What was that last one? Yeah. I just wrote time, but I didn't get the whole thing. You want to make sure that any idea or project or business that you're working on, it actually frees up your time and does not mm. take all of your time. And it, at the beginning, it might it might take your time, which is fine. But you need to be able to put systems and processes in place or people that can help mitigate your time commitment to that project idea or business. So in this case, I like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Not sure. So, so in this case, there is a need for, uh, for this bed and breakfast hotel. Cause there's only, there's only at the time one on the plaza that's, that was operational. The barrier of entry is very high because I have never heard of any other sponsors or, uh, real estate investors, understanding how to work a bed and breakfast. So there's a really high barrier of entry to that. We can control that because we are managing that in-house. We can scale it because we just, which we did, which we bought another one four blocks away. And now the the uh, staff is working at both of them. So that's scale. And then our time is not spent running these properties because we have a staff in place. So uh, that just kind of gives a, an, ex- an example of how that those five commandments might fit this this project and a framework for your listeners to kind of work through the time one is big from a passive investing standpoint generally because i think the temptation is to rush through and uh, reduce the amount of time until you make a passive investment and that's all you know it's well and good to to try to compress your time frames and your schedules and all that but especially when we passively invest in syndications to continue the syndication example it takes me quite a while to evaluate a sponsor to get to know them to watch them operate their business or watch them do deals and you know build that level of comfort and trust on my end until i'm comfortable you know investing 25 50 plus 1000 dollars of you know my hard-earned money Absolutely. with them, and and you know I th- I would suggest to the other passive investors out there, you know that's really where you're as a passive syndication investor, that's where your time is in evaluating sponsors and deals, and then afterward, you know you shouldn't be working on the project. You're a passive investor, so your time and in, in, you know investment is upfront. Is that an Airbnb bed and breakfast type of situation, or is it general? Bed and breakfast. Yeah, so good question. One one of them is a fully operational uh, bed and breakfast where we that that was one of our value add components to that project was that they were not utilizing Airbnb, um, but it is a it's been in operation for over twenty years, so it's a full service bed and breakfast, uh, Expedia Hotels dot com, Bookings dot com, that type of uh, uh, of hotel. Uh, the one that we we came across during our due diligence uh, of this project was it was not operational at this at the time. It had all of the 
uh, actual furniture still in it. it. It just was not operational, and it, was, it just undergone a massive uh, couple million dollar renovation. And um, we're able to negotiate quite a bit of owner financing on, on that project. And we started that as what I'll call a hybrid Airbnb hotel with the plan to take it to full service bed and breakfast. But right now, it is just a large it's a large home with a big, beautiful carriage house as well. Uh, and there's seven rooms in one of the one of the, the, the buildings, and there's two rooms in, in the other one. So we have nine rooms on that one. We do not serve breakfast there. It's just a hybrid. Um, mostly our bookings do come from Airbnb on that project. But our, our first one is a full service, sit down for breakfast, um, uh, bed and breakfast that you would you would think about and probably traditionally know about. Mm, okay. I think my, you know, when you have another stream of potential tenants or another way to rent the property, like a, you know, just a regular proper Airbnb and through Expedia, all that, I think there's a big advantage there uh, because the market that I live in, uh, Richmond, Virginia, I don't invest here, but I live here. Uh, the local municipality is, ha has a, a, an extreme bent against Airbnb. Sure. They're doing everything they can to try to eliminate Airbnb in this yep. market. And, you know, unfortunately, because you know, I, I use Airbnb, I don't invest in Airbnbs, but I use it as a consumer frequently. I love Airbnb. Uh, but so many municipalities out there across the country, not just, you know, in these coastal markets, are trying to get rid of it, essentially. And, you know, it's unfortunate. So you've when you can just operate as a regular, uh, when you can operate as a regular bed and breakfast, then you've kind of mitigated that uh, regulation yeah. risk. That's a great point to make because both of my hotels are are zoned hospitality, so I won't have any regulatory issues with with uh, our projects. And the other short term rentals that I do own, Taylor, are also in commercial buildings, and so in Kansas City, Missouri you're allowed to have a short-term rental uh, if it's 25% of your, your units uh, in, in, the prop, in the property. So, um, for example, we're, we're building um, a 10,000-square-foot building out. It's a two-story building. We're doing commercial, just commercial mixed use on the, on the bottom level. And on the 5,000 square feet upstairs, we've got five units. Well, one of them is going to be a short-term rental. And so Kansas City, Missouri allows that in commercial buildings. So, and I'm building two other ones in, in another commercial building that I've that I've purchased. And so we've we've uh, understood that uh, a lot of people are somewhat hesitant to get into the Airbnb business. Um, but I, from the beginning, uh, did not think that I was going to own single-family homes doing Airbnbs. I, I was utilizing the Airbnb model and the short-term rental model to uh, what I'll say, what I'll call just increase my net operating income because these properties are in high traffic areas where a lot of travelers want to be. And I can serve a certain market and control the regulations because I'm in commercial buildings. So it's a great point for your listeners. Check the municipalities that you're looking to invest in and see what the rules and regulations are, because I know a lot of people made a huge bet on Nashville being, you know, the short-term rental mecca of the world, basically. And uh, they have come down very hard on short-term rentals. I, I stayed in one at a bachelor party 
It was three stories tall. Definitely was brand new built in the last 12 months for short-term rentals. I could tell that. And they came out with a regulation that's basically um, closing down Airbnb in Nashville. So uh, definitely check your, your – uh, it's a good point to definitely check your municipalities and, and see what the regulations are uh, in your area or the area that you're looking to invest in. Absolutely. And that's, you know, part of that due diligence that investors uh, should be doing. And, you know, generally speaking, but specifically, if you're looking at it, this kind of investment, go check the regulations yourself. It shouldn't take that much work to find out about a given you know, location, what the regulations are. And also ask if you're looking at a passive investment, ask the sponsor what, you know, tell me about the regulations here. And then you can you know, depending on your level of trust, it'd be a good idea to to double check their work. But if they don't have an answer for you or their answer doesn't make you happy, then, you know, protect your downside and don't invest in that particular deal because one one piece of paper signed by a mayor can completely destroy your business and make your, your asset not worthless, but worth far less than you expected at the beginning. And that's it's it's really unfortunate, but you know, it's just part of part of investing, part of protecting our downside and, and doing our due diligence and, you know, keeping our hard earned money, you know, in our pockets. Absolutely. For us. Trust what, but verify. Absolutely. What do you think is like one of the biggest mistakes that passive investors are making today in real estate? Wow. You know, I would say uh, going with uh, mainstream. And what I mean by that is, is if everybody is flocking to let's just say multifamily and class A or what they'll call B, but really is B B B plus 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 multifamily that's being either built or uh, has been built very very recently, and you see a lot of people kind of flocking to that certain asset class or maybe even just class B that are that are situated in a in the southeast region or Texas or something like that. If everybody's going that direction, I, I tend to think that the actual opportunity is to, to be thinking about something different and uh, asking myself, okay, well, if everybody's focused on multifamily, what can I focus on that other people might be missing right now? And what I'll say is that I started to do that, you know, 18 months ago, and that's why we now own two bed and breakfast hotels and, and a third one by the end of this year. I, I mean, it's, it's uh, if you're looking for a really strong yield, there that barrier of entry and, and, and thinking what I'll call, I guess, against the grain a little bit or going up upstream, walking across the current, you know, through it instead of just flowing with it is very important. So uh, I'm I'm really interested in alternative asset classes right now. I still I still love multifamily. Don't get me wrong. I I broker multifamily deals. I invest in in multifamily um, as a as a sole owner of it, and uh, I love that asset class. But what I would say from a passive investment standpoint is really take a look at how many new multifamily units are being built in your market. How many there are available? What's the what's the demand that's actually wanting, you know, moving people to uh, that asset class that you're looking at. And then think about alternative assets. It might be self-storage. It might be mobile home parks. It might be investing in a business. I don't, I don't know what it is, but always 
take a look at maybe something a little bit different whenever you hear everybody talking about one asset class, one location, uh, one way of doing uh, a project as well. So I think that um, the biggest mistake that people might be making right now is just because is, is just uh, agreeing with what everybody else is saying because it's being pushed across so many different uh, channels and so many different um, social media pages and so many influencers. And so uh, I think that, that there might be missed opportunities from passive investors to, to that, that aren't thinking differently and just kind of going with the flow. Absolutely. And that's, you can shoehorn this into those five laws or, or find the one that you know, fits the best. You can't, you know, this, is, this would be my fit, but I'd be interested in, in your opinion on this. You can't control the market you're in, well, except you know geographically or anything, but you can't control, for your example, the number of gurus out there that are talking about how great multifamily investing is. You can't control how popular the asset class is, but you can control what asset class you're investing in. So if you see a particular asset class in your opinion and your area geographically is overheated or you're not finding deals, then as, as you've done, look for other asset classes to invest in. I like your bed and breakfast hotel opportunity. You know, that, that's a very good idea. So you mentioned self-storage. I like that as well. Mobile home parks, uh, assisted living, all very good. There are many options out there. So you can control what asset class and, and where you're investing if if your one particular area is not producing good. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So, Logan, what is the best investment you've ever made? I'm going to say the best investment that I've ever made is in myself. And, um, and really, this, this whole process started about four and a half, five years ago for me when I was cut from the Oakland Raiders. I also lost my father to drugs and alcohol that same about a month after I was cut. Oh, and so, um, wow. or that same year that I was cut, the time frames get a little bit a little bit jostled for me, but I really took a hard look at who I wanted to become, what type of man I wanted to be. And I started to try to make moves and make and take action to actually create that person. And so it started within your external world that you live in is simply a manifestation of your internal well-being. And so you can't ever be successful investing being a father, a husband, a mother, a sister, brother, whatever it is, before you love yourself and you cannot give what you do not have. So I would say that it, as much as it's great to, to read books about, you know, investing and, and uh, business and things like that, you really have to start with guys like Tony Robbins, like Jocko Willing, like David Goggins, like uh, Tim Grover and understand the mentality psychology and the emotional uh, aspect of business and just being a, a just an individual. And so, uh, you know, the, the couple books that really set that just on fire for me was Emotional Intelligence 2.0 um, and Strength Finders. So the guys over at Talent Smarts, I owe a lot of, uh, yeah, Talent Smarts, I owe a lot to, to those guys because, and gals, because uh, understanding myself and investing in myself has um, exponentially uh, taken me to the next level. And when that big business opportunity came my way, I would never have been ready if I wasn't 
working on myself for four years in, in you know, in every single day. And so um, the best investment I've ever made is in myself. And if you wanted to actually talk about, uh, <laughs> if you actually want to talk about an actual investment, we can. But I, that's 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 my answer is 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 investing in myself. I think that's a fantastic answer. And you know, I ask every guest that same question uh, toward the end of the show, and so many of them, highly successful people, give that. Okay, great. Answer. <laughs> and, you know, I think I think the way to look at that is not that. You know, some a, a cynic might say, "Well, that's just the easy answer." No, no. There's the um, what's that that Tony Robbins saying? Success yes. leaves clues. You know, so many that you know, you meet people going through your life, and and after getting into investing, you start to meet a lot of very wealthy, successful people that came from very little, and so many of them are fans of Tony Robbins, for example, or they believe in investing in yourself. And if you compare that to society at large, where investing in yourself isn't, might not even be, it might be considered selfish or they might not, people might not even think about it. There's, there's something to be learned there by that example. And if you're looking for somebody that is in this world, in this investing world specifically, uh, more so than you know Tony Robbins or Jocko or David Goggins or you know what have you mention his name Trevor McGregor great guy look him up he's out there uh, business coach he was you know he's my business coach he's Joe Fairless's business coach and so many others great guy so uh, so look him up what is the on the other side of that what is the worst investment you've ever made? you know I think that uh, the worst investment that I've ever made was probably um, was probably working with uh, an individual that I didn't fully vet beforehand. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, really great uh, speakers and uh, affluent talkers in the, in the real estate business. And, um, and you really need to put people through stress tests before you decide to do business with them. And so the worst investment I made was probably hanging my hat or what I'll call partnering up with an individual that I didn't necessarily um, have all of the background information on. And um, the expectations that we had were not probably uh, thought through uh, enough before we started to actually try to work together. So what I would say is that you really need to do just like you do your due diligence and your and your inspections on properties. You need to do the same thing, if not more, with the people that you're working with. And you need to be quick, but you don't need to hurry. And you have to make sure that you feel comfortable working with who you're working with. Because at the end of the day, behind all of these real estate projects, portfolios, opportunities, there lies people. And the people behind it is what is most important in any opportunity project. And so you really need to to hang your hat with people that you feel 100% comfortable with. I I totally agree. The way I think about it personally for my own uh, passive investments and my own partnerships in real estate, I want to be so comfortable with a potential partner or partners that I would be okay if they had yep. every penny of my money 
every single cent. I want to be have that level of comfort in their integrity, in their business, in the investments that they do, all of it. Now, that would be obviously a very stupid thing to do for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> nobody ha- nobody likes your money more than you do. Nobody likes my money more than I do. There's my favorite dollars out there. But I think that is a an aspiration a good aspiration to have in your business and the partnerships that you form that you are so that le- have that level of comfort with the people that you invest with. There there's enough opportunity out there for everybody and and there's also uh, the right people for you to work with. In Kansas City, I, a great example of this is, you know, with a title company. How many title companies are there out there? Well, there's a lot of them. Well, I networked until I found my title company that aligns with my values. Now all my clients work with them. Same with the lenders. I probably have nine active loans with a commercial lender right now. And he's probably got five more of my clients, you know. So at the end of the day, there's people behind every service that you, you that you can find and that you that you need and it's really important to build your team around the people that you want to do business with and you can trust and so the most valuable asset that I have and the way that I differentiate myself is my relationships just like I'm a broker of real estate I I've learned that more valuable than that is the brokerage of my relationships and the doors that I can open to people. So my my favorite question that I ask here at the end of all the interviews is what is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? Yeah, I would say you just you you have to slow down to go fast and you know, you get really excited about different projects, different uh, uh different ideas and you can kind of get yourself worked up in a into a into a realm that you 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 end up not taking any action because you just there's so many different things that you can be doing and I think that there's that that line of you know paralysis by analysis and uh, at the end of the day read Stephen Covey's book uh, the seven habits of highly effective people start with the end in mind ask yourself what do you want and then figure out the best way to go do that and be and be patient because Real estate, any endeavor really, is not a get-rich-quick scheme. And if it is, you probably should be thinking twice about whatever it is. So, yeah. So, long. <laughs> I think the best, um, the best advice that I can say, and, and the best real estate or just investing advice that I have is: be patient, slow down to go fast, and and be quick, but don't be in a hurry. Where can folks get in touch with you? Yeah, you can reach me. On all the social media channels, uh, my handle is just at Live Free Investments. So that's on Facebook, Instagram, Logan Freeman on LinkedIn. But the best way probably is just to go to my website, livefreeinvestments.com. And that's just L-I-V-F-R-E-E-I-N-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T-S.com. Livefreeinvestments.com. And you can see all the projects that I'm working on and and uh, there's a contact me button on there and, and I'm really accessible. So uh, I can, if anybody's interested in the Kansas City market or just learning about how the heck I, I fell into a couple syndications and now raising equity for, for large projects, I'm happy to chat with them. It's, it's always a passion of mine to, uh, to be able to, to provide value. Zig Ziglar said that 
if you help enough other people get what they want in life, you're ultimately going to get what you want. And that's the mantra that I live by. Awesome. So livefreeinvestments.com. I'm looking at it right now. It's a gorgeous website. You've got a, a nice, uh, nice designer and it's easy to navigate. So if folks want to get in touch with you, then I'm sure they'll be able to do that. Uh, well, thank you for joining us today. And uh, it's been a great conversation. I encourage everyone to, if they're interested, reach out to learn more about what you've got going on and where you're going to be in the future, because I'm sure it's going to be I'm sure you've got a lot, a lot ahead of you. So thanks for all the lessons today. And we'll talk to, again to you soon. Thanks, Taylor. All right. Take care.